Hi, friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles. And welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warriors Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years. What a big day in surgery yesterday and on Wednesday and on Monday. Did 13 big surgeries this week, six of them yesterday. And I got to give a shout out to the team at Cedars-Sinai particularly JR, who came in on his day off to help me. We've been decimated. It's not related to COVID, but just working so hard. And my favorite, Adolfo, couldn't make it. And JR stepped up and came in. And I really want to give him a big thank you. And I told him I'd give him a shout out. Carlos, for uh, being right there by my side, helping me through all these big cases. I mean, one of the patients, 5'9", 240 pounds, trust me, as strong as I am, I cannot do it alone. So having a team in my office, in the operating room, it's special. And my physician assistant, the great Sandy Lee, what a pleasure to have her in my life. And I know she's driving up to Santa Barbara. I hope she's listening. Thanks for everything yesterday. You are my hero. All right, let's get into today's show. My guest, I'm so excited. At 8.15 is Hawaiian surfer and shaper Duke Ipa. He's the son of legendary Hawaiian waterman Ben Ipa. And I can't wait to hear the son's perspective of his dad's legacy. I met his dad, Ben Ipa, in 1983 while I was working at Queens Hospital in Honolulu. And I heard about this most famous surfboard builder and was also told how tough and intimidating this guy was. 245 pounds of solid muscle. He's 5'11", maybe 5'10". And he's what's known as an enforcer in the ocean. Fist fights, pushing you, shoving you. He was a tough, and is a tough dude. But I finally went to go meet him to get a surfboard. And when I shook his hand, I'm a Jewish guy from New York. He's a purebred Hawaiian tough guy. He could not have been sweeter and nicer to me. This combination of being an enforcer and tough exterior and yet having a heart of gold. You want to know what a heart of gold Ben Ipa had? When Bethany Hamilton, the young girl surfing in Kauai, had a tiger shark come up out of the water and bite her arm off. She's going to be a professional surfer, this young girl. Try surfing with only one arm. She wanted to get back in the water, but how are you going to do that? How are you going to paddle with one arm? Ben Ipa said, I'm going to make you a surfboard with a horizontal bar built into it so you can hold on and paddle with just one arm. That's what Ben Ipa did, the heart of gold. In order to really be a trailblazer, and I'll explain what I mean by Ben Ipa being a trailblazer, in a minute but in order to be that trailblazer you got to be tough you got to have that exterior but deep inside you're creative you're observant and you can be a sweetheart and i thought about it all week you know i love the world of surgery the world of art the world of sports where in the world of art and music do we see the story of the tough guy being sweet being observant, being a visionary, being a trailblazer, but that combination of toughness toughness, and being sweet. Well, the father of rock and roll was Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry was in jail three different times in his life. He is one tough dude. But in 1963, he writes a song, Sweet Little Sixteen. 
He's in jail at the time. And the Beach Boys decide to make a song called Surfing USA, which becomes a number one hit for them. They literally ripped off his song. In the early 60s, you could think that way about another person, particularly if he's a musician and if he's black. Well, Chuck Berry fought back. Nobody would ever do that before. He said, that's my song. And the Beach Boys' dad signed over the rights to Surfing USA to Chuck Berry. I bet you didn't know that because he fought back. To be a trailblazer, you gotta be tough, but you also have to be a sweetheart. For me in surgery, I'll get into some stories about the toughness that was Dr. Ranawat, my teacher, and yet how sweet he always has been to me. Let's do some clap revision. We certainly need to talk about Clay Thompson. Clap. How exactly do you repair an Achilles tendon? Here's the clap revision. The strands of the Achilles tendon go from your knee to your ankle, north, south, vertical. They look like pasta, spaghetti in that box that you have in the cupboard. That's what the strands of your Achilles tendon look like. And when it tears, it pulls apart. How are you gonna sew two ends of a vertical pasta spaghetti together? When it's vertical, the stitches will just pull right out. The clapper vision is you have to learn a certain way to do suturing where you take the needle and the suture material and go horizontal and lock the vertical strands of the tendon. My best clap revision is a hangman's noose. Not that this is a gory detail, but the rope is vertical, but the loop is horizontal. And as you pull on the rope vertical, the horizontal loop tightens. In essence, that's the kind of stitch that you must learn as a surgeon. It's a little tricky, but when you finally get it down, you can actually bring two north-south strands of a tendon that tore beautifully locked together. And that's what will be done to Clay Thompson. The material we use now, the sutures are so strong, it's called fiber wire from Arthrex. It's almost like having that bulletproof vest Kevlar as a suture material. Clay Thompson will be back stronger than ever. We can fix these tears now like we could never fix them before. That'll be clap revision, and we'll do more when the clinic is open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But let's get into today's topic. I want to introduce you to my favorite surfer outside of Duke Kahanamoku and Jerry Lopez, Ben Ipa, who I got to meet, and I still have a board he shaped in my office to this day. His story is one of trailblazing, but also of being tough. Listen to his story. Let's go to one. I started shaping um, 1963-64. I started surfing and shaping almost the same time. What made me get into shaping was uh, a friend of mine that owned a surf shop. He invited me down. He said, why don't I shape my own board? I go, no, I, I don't do that. <laughs> and he already was playing football. He really came to surfing and shaping Ben Ipa later than most. He didn't grow up as a six-year-old surfing in the ocean. He did so many other sports. But Cupid shot the arrow of surfing into his chest just as he finishes high school. But what he doesn't appreciate until now is the talent he has for actually shaping a surfboard, the Michelangelo of surfing. Number two. He had a bunch of blanks that he bought really cheap, so it's no problem. So I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna get off in the next two days, then I'll come down. So that was started me. Now, when I first did that board, it, it took me 12 hours. But when I finished it, to me it was like, wow. Now, coming from the guy that owned the surf shop, he was a glasser and he shaped boards too. And he told me, you sure you never shaped boards before? <laughs> so again, I'm watching surfing and the boards had to be tweaked. The board had to go where it's gotta go. 
So he's starting to create a brand new type of surfboard. The one I have in my office is called a Stinger. Ben Ipa invents this. Just like Chuck Berry is so observant about his surroundings and wants to create and visualize the future in the world of art and music, Ben Ipa is doing it in sports in the world of surfing. Listen to this, number three. Yeah, I'm a part of that continuation from the swallowtail. Again, came from me watching Larry and the future of surfing. Martins, Mark Ladell, Dane Kiloha. Their surfing again was so far ahead, the boards had to catch up with them. That's why they came in with the sting. Because these guys were riding their fins forward, they were surfing forward, and the boards in the back third wasn't reacting. Where will he get his inspiration? He literally watches a hydrofoil boat coming into the harbor in Honolulu, going to make a turn. And he looks at the hull of the hydrofoil boat and says, I'm going to make a surfboard shaped like that. Oh my God, number four. So just by chance, I went down to Cay Lagoon, the fastest boat on water at the time, the hydrofoil boats. As they came into the turn, they dropped the throttle, but the momentum of the weight of the boat, boat kept going, and the cut on the side of the boat made the boat pivot without losing speed. I saw that, and that's what brought the sting in. Why did he call it the sting, this new revolution in shape of a surfboard? Number five. That design caught fire <laughs> with those guys on the flame boys. The word sting, Again, I'm watching Larry Bertelman at Lighthouse. He's going boom, boom, and go wow, boom. He's stinging the wave. That's where I came in with the word. But he is a proud Hawaiian, and he's making all these innovations. He's also becoming a powerful, respectable surfer. And yet, in 1965, the first Duke Duke contest. There are no pure Hawaiians invited because they're not famous enough. Ben Ipa changes the world. Listen to this story. Number five, uh, number six. I think my major goal in my, my label, my, my brand, my name, it's Hawaiian for one thing. In the industry, less than a handful of actually Hawaiian surnames in this thing. And also the inspiration from Duke Ahanamoku. You know, I learned a lot from Duke Ahanamoku in my swimming days. And number seven? This company was honoring Duke Ahanamoku, a contest for Duke Ahanamoku. And I just got into surfing like about only two years. So myself and another surfer from Hawaii, guys was asking, how come you guys are not in it? The Duke Ahanamoku Invitational because we weren't well known outside of Hawaii. When we were there watching the contest, Duke came to us and go, you guys are gonna be in this contest next year. So Duke got us in. Duke got him in, but he also stood up for himself. I'm gonna be in this contest. We are Hawaiian, we belong in this contest. It's taking place in Hawaii of all places. I want you to hear more about how the cover of Ben Ipa is of a tough guy. But as you hear him speak, you can appreciate all he wants to do is make the world a better place in surfing. Listen to number 10. I got a shot of me somebody took when I must have been about 240 pounds coming to a, a contest over here, state contest, carrying two boards under my arm, you know? My hair was long. I had, a, I had a beard, a mustache, and uh, it looked mean. <laughs> so I kind of used it, okay? I, I kind of used it where I don't have to say anything. They just look at me in the lineup, and I can get waves as long as I don't blow that wave. <laughs> and finally, number 11. Being a very athletic person, you know, and actually it's mellow out in the surf yeah mellow out in the surf but 
the aggression came in, of course, when I positioning and you know pedaling for the wave and you know making the statement on the maneuver, you know, not yelling people off the wave, not yelling people pedaling out, just making a statement on my performance on the wave. So I kind of like was doing it for, hey, there's a lot of big guys out there. Come on, go surf, you know. His toughness was there, but listen to his creativity, his ability to observe the world around him. Number eight. Now, I ventured into putting fin boxes where that during the time was a no-no. No, they want to put boxes drag. Here, I want to put boxes so I can play with my fins, stagger them, things like that. So eventually, it caught on. It caught on, but it took a while again. And number nine. I guess it was a fin at the time, okay? I got this quarter-inch ply. I, I cut a shape like this, like a keel. I sanded it down, foil it, got, got glue, glued it on the back tail of the board and used it right out here. Okay, the, the plywood keel fin was in glass because I was just trying something out. If it doesn't work, throw it away. I never did. I never did. I never did. He didn't have to. He changed the way we saw riding on the waves forever. He was tough. He stood up for himself, Ben Hypa, in his prime. A beautiful combination. Where in the world of music, the world of art, do we see it? I want to play one sign bite before we go to break. This is Keith Richards of the Rolling Stone talking about seeing Chuck Berry's guitar in the green room after a gig and decides, hey, I'm going to pick up the guitar and play Chuck Berry's guitar because he was such a big influence on the British invasion. The Beatles did his song. The Rolling Stones, they all did it. But Chuck Berry also had to stick up for himself. Listen to this when he punches Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones in the face for touching his guitar. This is from David Letterman, number one. Why would Chuck Berry punch Keith Richards? Oh, I was in a dressing room. He was doing a gig. Uh, he went off to collect the money, I think. And, That's what it always uh, is. He was a tight boy, bless you, Chuck. But uh, he, he, and his guitar was laid out in his case, and I went, oh, come on, Keith, you know, just a touch. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta play a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, just let me give it a, an E chord. Or, uh, <laughs> he walks in and goes, nobody touches my guitar, boom! Uh, that's one of Chuck's biggest hits, baby. <laughs> <laughs> was hitting Keith Richards in the face. That was Jimmy Fallon, not David Letterman. Coming up next, we're going to get into the Chuck Berry story. Being tough, but sticking up for yourself and being a keen observer of the world around you. That's what combines those two worlds, toughness and having that sweet spot. Ben Ipa has it. Chuck Berry had it. Dr. Ranawat had it. We'll get into it coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710. ESPN. What's the best medicine? Besides chicken soup, <laughs> vitamin C, <laughs> green tea, <laughs> prunes, uh, yeah. shot whiskey, <laughs> not around here. What's the best medicine? I cannot wait. We call it clafter. <laughs> Dr. Clapper calls this guy. He says, I got bad news and I got worse news. Guy says, give me the bad news. Doctor says, you got 24 hours to live. The guy says, what could be worse than that? Doctor says, I've been trying to reach you since yesterday. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. From now on, I am not Robert Clapper. I want you to call me Smokey. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Dr. Smokey Clapper. That's the greatest. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710 home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Today's topic is all about my guest at 8.15. We're going to talk about the great Hawaiian Ben Ipa, a man with a tough exterior, 
but a heart of gold and sweetness. Sticking up for yourself. Well, you know how much I love food. This week, Linda Yui sent to my office something special. Something special. In my opinion, the greatest banana cream pie the world has ever seen. This banana cream pie comes from a place in Los Angeles. You talk about being sweet and tough at the same time. This place has been in this spot in LA since 1947. And when the big developers came in and tore down all the land to build the West Side Pavilion, these developers thought they could bully this pie place and swallow them up by the land underneath them. There was one problem. This family owned the land. They, they ain't going anywhere. I'm going to tell you that place. They fought back and it's still there. They still have the screen door from 1947. Nothing has changed, including their recipe for the best banana cream pie you'll ever have. You can't sit inside anymore because of COVID, but you can order it and pick it up. Trust me, you want to have a lovely weekend? Go get a pie from this place. I'll tell you where it is coming up a little later in the show. But let's get into that combination of toughness and sweetness all at the same time. Charles Osgood sits down to talk to the great Chuck Berry in 1972, talking about Maybelline. It was a country song called Ida May. Elvis Presley brought the black music that he heard growing up in the South to white America. Well, believe it or not, Chuck Berry did the opposite. He brought country music to the black performers that he was working with. That was his hook. That was his contribution. And he loved this one country song, Ida May. But when he met with Leonard Chess from Chess Records, because Muddy Waters said, you got to go meet with this record producer. Leonard Chess said, forget about the blues songs you're playing. I want you to play Ida May. But that name, we got to change the name. How would you get that song introduced into the mainstream? Not with the name Ida May. Well, there was a mascara company called Maybelline, a cosmetics company for women. Chuck Berry heard that and changed the name to Maybelline. And that song became his first song, which shot to be number one, something so rare. Let's listen to Charles Osgood. I want you to hear the voice in this interview of Chuck Berry, number, number 12. I have to think commercially because uh, if not, uh, it's not fair to the record company, it's not fair to my livelihood. And uh, I, so I think commercially, I think about what the public would want, you know. Getting still, if it's not within the feeling that I have to deliver, it does, it, it'll never be heard. When you first went to uh, Leonard Chess, uh, you went with a, with a couple of records that you had made, a couple of uh, yeah, tape recordings, I guess. Tape, yeah, and I, I carried, uh, he told me to bring four numbers. As a matter of fact, I brought six. Next, number 13. But you didn't think at that time that Maybelline was the, was the best of that lot, did you? I was making $94 a week at uh, assembly plant. I had no idea. When I met my first job, I came to New York here and uh, was with an agency and they said, well, this song will probably last you two years. You could run two, two years and working 40 months out of the year at $50 a night. And the Lord had answered my blessings, you know, because from $74 a week, uh, $94 a week to $50 a night is a pretty good jump. He sounds a lot like me when my wife says, you never answer the question. I love Charles Oscar asks him a question and he gives him the answer he wants to give him, but it was Maybelline. Oh, let's hear Maybelline before we get into the sound bites. Steve, this is the very first rock and roll song. Increase the volume. Why can't you be true? You just started doing the things you used to do. Doesn't sound very revolutionary now. 
But it sure was. In the 50s. All right, let's get into the story of Chuck Berry. The combination of toughness and sweetness and a keen observer of the surroundings, particularly of a teenager, a white teenager, who he's going to try and appeal to. Let's go to number two. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans. Chuck Berry is the father of rock and roll. He laid the foundations for an entire music genre. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. He found that fire within him and he managed to harness it and make it into the most beautiful and engaging music of all time. He was determined. He had a fire, just like Ben Ipa had a fire within him, particularly out in the lineup. But the softness was inside. Let's talk a little bit more about the fire. Number three. In 1944, when he was still at high school, Chuck Berry was actually arrested and jailed for armed robbery. Now, the story goes that he and a couple of friends had decided to go on an impromptu road trip, and they'd found a gun, um, and they'd flagged down a car and used the gun, which they say wasn't, you know, a working gun, to kind of steal the car at gunpoint. Chuck Berry's argument, apparently, was that their car had broken down and that he wasn't really carjacking anybody. He was just stopping the car, and the pistol that he had was a fake one. Obviously, the uh, authorities didn't fall for this. He took advantage, however, of the time being in jail to pursue his musical instruments while in jail. This is amazing. Number four. Despite being minors and first-time offenders, uh, Chuck was actually sentenced to 10 years in jail, and he was sent to uh, Intermediate Reformery for Young Men in Algoa. And, but it was here this, that he started to uh, sing more. He actually formed his own singing group. This group that he started were actually really quite good. They practiced a lot and they actually played a few gigs. Um, he got out a little bit early as well for good behavior on his 21st birthday. But Chuck Berry has big dreams. He's not gonna stay on the Chitlin circuit. He's gonna go and branch out and bring his love for country music to the world that he was now experiencing to take over the music industry. Number five. Chuck Berry was playing with Johnny Johnson's band and he started bringing in country music, country ballads, initially to black audiences. And he said, well, I was just curious to see what they make of it. Suddenly this guy's on stage, he's bringing in like country and western licks on the guitar and bringing in all these different ideas. When you're the pioneer of a new sound, you're the most popular guy in the room. And everyone probably wanted him in his band because he had that vigor and that imagination. And number six. Chuck went to see Leonard Chess, expecting him to be very interested in his blues music. Leonard Chess was mainly intrigued by this song called Ida Red that Chuck Berry was doing, which is actually an old country tune. And he said, well, why don't you develop that? And he did, and it became Maybelline. Maybelline, why can't you be true? Number seven. Now you hear this record, you can almost hear rock and roll music being invented in those two and a half minutes. There's nothing that had ever been quite like it before. It was the song that really um, established him. It's incredible to think that his first single was such a huge hit. Maybelline was one of the most successful recording debuts. I mean, straight in at number one on the R&B charts. I mean, it's, it's like the dream story if you're a musician. You're straight up at the top. What made Ben Aipa so successful as a board shaper in changing the world of surfing was he was a keen observer of where these young skateboarders were going, essentially doing skateboard maneuvers in the ocean. Chuck Berry, a keen observer of what life was like, the young teenager, what was their life like? This is what made him so special was his power of observation. Number eight. By this point, Chuck Berry's releasing songs that have turned into rock and roll classics. Absolute greats, Johnny Be Good. I mean, if you just look at and Sweet Sixteen as well, he is telling and storytelling 
what it was like to grow up in America at that moment. So even when we listen, when I listen back to it, I think, oh, it just sounds so exciting. And it takes you there. It paints this picture. It's so energetic, but you can sing along with it. And it's great to dance to. It had everything. They're all about the same thing. They're about being young. He invented the whole genre of songs about cars and girls. And Chuck Berry absolutely nailed that, you know, and he did it in such a simple way. And number nine. Despite spending the early 1960s in prison, Chuck Berry's popularity was actually growing at this time, thanks to a number of bands, particularly the British Invasion, who were either covering him like the Beatles or borrowing heavily from his music like the Rolling Stones. And just like Ben Ipa being shut out of the Duke Kahanamoku contest in 1965, he convinces Duke Hanamoku, hey, you need to have some pure Hawaiians in the contest. You got to stick up for yourself. Otherwise, no one's going to look out for you. While he's in jail, the Beach Boys listen to his sweet little 16 song and completely change the lyrics to Surfing USA. But they're messing with the wrong guy. He sticks up for himself and says, you stole my song. I may be in jail. But that's my song. Number nine. In 1963, the Beach Boys had their first top 10 American hit, Surfing USA. Now, this was clearly based on uh, Chuck Berry's Sweet Little 16. And initially, he wasn't credited as a songwriter. And being Chuck Berry, quite rightly, he kicked up a huge stink about it. And eventually, he was credited. Surfing USA sounds a little bit like Sweet Little 16. It's the same song. I think uh, I'd be annoyed. Next. It's about the boy trying to seduce the girl. They're in a car and they can't have any physical interaction because they can't get his seatbelt off. He's an acute observer of uh, the human condition and of the, the sexual frustration of teenagers. He has a tough exterior, but a heart of gold and sweetness that he can see in our everyday lives. It's a beautiful combination. It's kind of like having sweet and sour soup. You got the sweet and you got the savory. It's an interesting path in life having that tough exterior. I find it fascinating. And at 8.15, we're gonna to talk to Ben Ipa's son. I've got sound bites of Chuck Berry's son talking about his dad. I can't wait to play them for Duke Ipa and hear his reaction. Coming up next, we'll open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. I wanna take you into the operating room this week. One of the cases was in a shoulder case where the person had what's known as a frozen shoulder. Why do you get a frozen shoulder? What's the cause of it? And why does it sometimes not respond to physical therapy? We'll get into it coming up next on the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. What do you want when you gotta eat something? And it's gotta be sweet and it's gotta be a lot and you gotta have it now. What do you want? Big clap. Big clap. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh my God, that's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm still quelling. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. They're really rocking in Boston and Pittsburgh, PA. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Steve let's let the listeners hear Sweet Little 16. And this is it. And now I'd love you to listen to Surfing USA. Listen to the Beach Boys, Surfing USA. If everybody had an ocean, 
across the USA. It's the same song. Then everybody be served. Can you imagine you're in jail like when this comes out? Which, by the way, his songs are all number one on the radio while he's in jail. But up until then, if you're a black man in America and you're in jail, and even though you wrote that song, you're not going to complain. Not Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry didn't take crap from anybody. He stood up for himself. And yet, when you listen to the lyrics of his song, it's this keen observation of the sweetness in life of being a teenager. He had that beautiful combination of the two. An inspiring, crazy topic this week, but I find it fascinating. And I'm, we're going to get into it with Duke Ipa at 8.15. The number is 877-710-ESPN. I want to explain first about shoulders, and then I want to take you into the operating room with me this week because I did a fascinating hip surgery on a man who lost one of his legs above the knee from a car accident. Led to a traumatic amputation of his leg, has to wear a prosthesis. And because of overloading and the altered gait, he wore out his other hip, not the one that had the amputation that wears the prosthesis, but his other hip. Here's the challenge for me, though, as a surgeon. Can you imagine the stress and the torque that is on that other hip that led it to wear out, that led it to be bone on bone? But if you do a simple, straightforward hip replacement, you really run the risk of having this hip dislocate because it's almost like a shoehorn fitting your heel, your calcaneus, into a new pair of tight shoes. You can shoehorn the ball right out of the socket. So you really have to think about maximally giving movement as well as stability when you're the surgeon having to reconstruct a hip in someone where the other lower extremity is an above-the-knee amputation wearing a prosthesis. So it was a particular challenge for me, thinking three-dimensionally. The x-rays that we take in orthopedic surgery are sheets of paper. They're two-dimensional. X-ray film, even if it's on a screen, it's three-dimensional. Which is why I love sculpting so much. Yes, I love to draw. Yes, I love to paint. But that's two-dimensional. You take a hammer and a chisel and a block of marble, you need to have depth. You need to have the Z-axis. And that is the difference between a hip that stays in place and one that dislocates. The challenge is kind of like today's topic. You want to be an enforcer. You want to be tough looking. But you want a sweetness as well. I love it in life when you ask for almost opposite things in life. I want mobility, but I also want stability. I can't have the bone socket dislocate, but I also wanted to have that movement. And that's why I used a special prosthesis on this patient called dual mobility. It allows for a gigantic ball within a ball. It's a genius idea. And boy, did it save the day this week for me in the operating room. I do want to talk about the shoulder, one of the many shoulder surgeries I did this week. I also did a reverse shoulder replacement this week, which still, to my amazement, I feel like Pablo Picasso as a surgeon, where God made a ball and I make it into a socket, and the socket you make into a ball. Just reverse and flip it. But many of you listening will have shoulder pain. I love to tell people you're either pre-op or post-op. And if that pain becomes bad enough for long enough and you put up with it, guess what you're going to do because your shoulder hurts? You're not going to move it. That bone spur that digs into your rotator cuff that makes it painful to sleep, that makes it painful to put the seatbelt on, to put a jacket on, for those women putting a bra on, it hurts to get into those movements. 
Well, guess what you do? You stop moving it. And when you stop moving it, is the clap revision. It's as though you vacuum pack the capsule that surrounds the ball and socket joint of your shoulder. And we have a fancy name for that. It's called adhesive capsulitis. And yes, the right thing is to send you to physical therapy, not to give you a cortisone shot like many people do, not to give you a stem cell or PRP shot like many people do. No. Holistically, you go to physical therapy to try to break up the vacuum seal, which has abnormally occurred because you're just not moving your shoulder. So less movement leads to more contracture of the ball and socket joint. The holistic correct approach for the early changes of adhesive capsulitis or a frozen shoulder is the physical therapy that you'll go to. And then the home exercises that you'll do, putting a pulley in your house. And if you can't do that, just take the belt off your bathrobe, throw it over the closet door, keep your arm moving. But if you then come and see me and say, listen, I've been tortured by this for a few months. I went to therapy for a month. It's not better than just like that person that I operated on this week. I'm going to get rid of the reason you're not moving your shoulder, which is the bone spur. And way back when, you had to open someone's shoulder up to do that. Not anymore. Now you're able to take a puncture through the skin, fiber optically, the tools are even smaller than a pen. And I can look inside the shoulder, see the bursa, see the rotator cuff that's being frayed, and most importantly, see the culprit, see the bone spur. And then through a second puncture, I can put in tools also thinner than a pen, motorized vacuum cleaner, motorized burr. It's the same carpentry tools my dad used as a carpenter. And I can file down that spike. Looks like an icicle. You know, when you go in a cave, the limestone drippings, it looks like a stalactite. This, this rock icicle, this bone icicle that's coming down north-south that's taking up the space that should be clear with a giant tooth, a giant spur. And I can file down that bone spur and you almost feel like the patient's shoulder is talking to you, going, ah, I'm so much better again. Thank you for giving me my space back, my subacromial space, so that my tendon can run clear without any impingement, without any pinching by that icicle. It's one of the simplest operations that I do, but it's also one of the most rewarding because you get to sleep again at night. You get to put a jacket on. And what I love about it is if you get to that shoulder soon enough in the game, you prevent that patient from having a rotator cuff tear that needs stitches. You truly change the course of their life. It's what I love so much about the surgeries that I do. Yes, it's an operation, I get that. But if it's done at the right time in your life, you now won't need surgery on your other knee, on your other hip, on your lower back, for God's sake. And you know how much I don't like spine surgery. Many times I'm going to take care of your hip so that you leave your back alone so you don't need back surgery. Same thing for your knee. The greatest gift you're going to give your other knee, your other hip, your other shoulder, is take care of the one that's bothering you so that you don't overcompensate and the other joint on the other side, which is currently fine. We'll take a break. We'll pay some bills. Clinic will still be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior show presented by Cedar sinai 
What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Dr. Clapper says measure twice, cut once. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Il Dr. Clapper dice, misura due volte, taglia una sola volta. Every Saturday morning from 7 <laughs> to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. It's time for Dr. Clapper. Winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Let's open the clinic before we start storytelling for the next hour. And my guest, Ben Ipa, calling in to talk about Duke Ipa, talking about his dad, Ben Ipa. Let's go to Ian. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Morning, Dr. Clapper. How are you? I'm good, Ian. Talk to me. How old are you? What do you do for a living? I'm 27 years old. I'm a camera assistant in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. Good for you. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Newbury Park High School. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah, I, I drive Ventura past County. it on my way to Ventura. There we go. It's Beautiful. a great area. They have a great bicycle shop up there. If any of you listening need your bicycle fixed or need to buy a new bicycle, that bicycle shop in Newbury Park is the best I know. Love those guys. Which is, is it is it Mike's bike? Yep, yep, yep. Newberry Park. Sh- shout out to Mike's bike. <laughs> so you oh, listen yeah, to Dr. the show. You know what Clapper Vision is? I absolutely do, sir. Yeah, I'd like to get into it. So about ten years ago, uh, my right wrist, I had a break that was a boxer's break uh, in my ulna, and uh, my doctor was able to set it that night. No surgery. I was casted up for six to eight weeks after that, and uh, mm-hmm. everything was good for you know nine or so years but um as 2020 punch? has come with uh as 2020 has come with a little bit more baggage my wrist has started to hurt a little bit more and it's feeling a lot more Ian, who, who did you punch how'd you get the fracture oh just you know high school games buddy that's all I say. <laughs> you, you live and you learn you know that's right <laughs> okay go ahead so now you're having some pain in the wrist so now I'm having a little bit of pain in the right wrist, and I'm trying to figure it out, uh, you know, what, what I could do to kind of ease the pain without, you know, going in because I'm afraid that maybe I will need surgery or, or, or how it, you know, healed correctly or incorrectly. Uh, just maybe wanted to hear your word on it. So if, in fact, you broke the fifth metacarpal, the boxer's fracture, we can allow for tremendous malunion we can allow for a tremendous amount of the bone not healing perfectly straight in that particular bone in your hand the fifth metacarpal the boxer's fracture but if you break metacarpal in your hand for the long finger or for your index finger and i'm talking about in the palm of your hand that those big bones in the middle of your hand the metacarpals when you break the index of the long fingers metacarpal, different from the, the, the pinky finger metacarpal, we cannot accept any displacement. So you're having plates and screws put into those fractures. But your doctor treated you pro- appropriately. If it's the pinky, the fifth metacarpal, the classic boxer's fracture, you rarely have to do surgery. You can set it and put someone in a cast like you've done. So... If you now, 10 years later, are developing wrist pain, I'm here to tell you that that actually doesn't make sense anatomically to be a result of that fifth metacarpal fracture. Unless, Ian, you had more than your fifth metacarpal broken when you had the accident 10 years ago. And they may have missed something going on in your wrist. Let me give you a clap revision for the wrist. The, 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 the very fact that you can turn the dial on your radio and turn the volume up or down or switch the, the radio stations and why that you can rotate. Look at what your fingers are doing, but also look at what your wrist is doing. You talk about a joystick to play a, a video game, your wrist is the ultimate joystick in terms of how many different directions it can go. And if your wrist was just two bones, a hinge, you couldn't do that. A flip phone, 
does not twist. A flip, flip phone is just a hinge up and down. And look at all the movement your wrist can have. So how do we accomplish that much movement from the wrist? It's because there are eight bones that make up the wrist. It's not just two bones as a hinge. And my clapper vision is it's as though you had a pearl necklace made of eight pearls and you have that little string in between the eight different pearls. Those are the ligaments that connect each of the eight bones, the eight pearls of the necklace stuffed between your forearm and your hand. When we take an x-ray, even though we can't see the ligament, and we see a space that's wider than the others, the, all eight should have an equal looking space. But if you take an x-ray and you see either, we used to call it the Terry Thomas sign, but nobody knows who he is as an actor. We would then call it the Leon Spink sign uh, because people remember him as a boxer, but now even that is outdated. But Michael Strahan, when Michael Strahan smiles, you see that space between his front two teeth. I would get, I guess now I would call it the Michael Strahan sign. If on the x-ray you see a gap like that between two of the bones, you can diagnose a ligament injury. And I suspect, Ian, that you may have damaged, in addition to breaking your fifth metacarpal, for you to have wrist pain 10 years later, as they say in New York, it ain't coming as a result of that fracture. You're having wrist pain because you must have injured one of the ligaments in your wrist. So what's your next chest move? Ian, you need an MRI of your wrist and you're gonna need to visit someone who doesn't do knees, who doesn't do shoulders, who doesn't do hips. You're gonna need to visit someone who just does hands for a living. And I'm gonna give you the name of someone who I think is terrific at Cedars. His name is David Culber, K-U-L-B-E-R. Give him a call. You're having pain. Now is the time at this young age of yours to figure out what you did to yourself more than break your fifth metacarpal, okay? Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Ian. Listen, you're a total stranger to me. It's a pleasure to meet you on the radio. You need to find a total stranger today yourself. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. I got you, buddy. Okay, young man. Have a good day today. All right, Warriors. I already told Steve Paulette what's going to happen for us next week, but I can't get ahead of myself. Oh, my God. Let me tell you, it'll involve Alfred Hitchcock and the birds and the man who trained those 300 seagulls for that movie. Can't wait to put that show together. And I also need to tell you the location of where that banana cream pie comes from, where the owners, the family, was defiant and refused to move when the developers built the West Side Pavilion and they would not move. They're still there, making pies the way they did since 1947. The place is the apple pan, and the banana cream pie is the greatest pie you'll ever eat. They make the whipped cream homemade. They make the crust homemade. But there's more bananas per square inch in that slice of pie than you'll ever get anyplace else. Treat yourself this weekend. Get a banana cream pie from the apple pan. Coming up next, I'll tell some stories about being tough, sticking up for yourself but also having a heart of gold. Chuck Berry in music and the great Ben Ipa in sports is one of the greatest Hawaiian surfer shapers I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.